If you're a business owner or a business leader and you're managing all the functions of your C-suite, subscribe to our channel, turn on notifications, and let's start talking about how you can make the most use of your time so that you can enjoy life and keep the dream alive. Welcome to another episode of Fractional with Chris Capone and Associates. I have uh, my good friend and, and neighbor, actually, Wells Struble here. He's a serial entrepreneur and um, exited your first business when you were how old? Uh, I think we were 24. Yeah. yeah. How rad is that? <laughs> yeah. So Wells, serial entrepreneur, exited his first business when he was 24 years old. And uh, he's going to tell us about his story and all the stuff he's been up to. And uh, so, yeah, I'll hand it over. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Chris. This yeah, man. Cool. Never done a podcast, so <laughs> yeah. um, appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I'm Wells. I, uh, you know, went to UNCW, um, graduated back in uh, 2008, came to Wilmington, UNCW to be on the track team, studied business. Um, a few of my sweet mates from UNCW, uh, their names are Jason and Rocco. Um, we started after college, a couple years after college, we started a uh, frozen yogurt shop. And... Um, yeah, it it went pretty well. We it was called the Fuzzy Peach. Oh yeah, I, we had. Uh, I remember. Yep. Yeah, so we started uh, the first one on Racing Drive, um, right next to campus, and um, didn't know what we were doing. You know, scrounged together our, you know, little bit of cash that we had because um, we all graduated in, you know, in the middle of the recession. That's um, right. Yeah, that'd be an interesting and, time to be getting yeah, out into the workforce. Exactly. Huh? So my first job was actually. Uh, out of college, I, I was lucky. I graduated a semester early, and so that was like right pre-recession. It was like December '07. Yeah. Um. So got my first job, and um, Rocco and Jason were were later, and my wife Kelly, who I also met while at UNCW, um, same year as us. But anyways, they struggled to find, you know, jobs uh, mm -hmm. a little bit right out of school, and everyone, of course, wants to stay in Wilmington. But my first job was out at uh, International Paper in Regalwood. Um, I was in cost accounting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, studied finance at, at UNCW and then went into cost accounting, manufacturing accounting. And, um, you know, realized that that was not for me. You know, <laughs> um, it was just, you know, it was exactly what you would expect, you know, yeah. working at a paper mill. And uh, there was parts that were fun and I learned a lot. But, but anyways, so we all graduated, got jobs, went separate ways. And uh, Jason was working in... Um, at Citibank, I think, mm -hmm. and uh, loans, and Rocco was out selling copiers, and uh, that's a that's yeah, a, like a, a grind of a job in that's, a recession yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Here, oh, you want to buy this five thousand dollar copier, and <laughs> you know you're struggling to make payroll. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so that that was a struggle he had, but but yeah, so we scrounged together the little cash we had. I think it, if I remember right, it was uh, ten thousand dollars a piece. So we put in thirty thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and then we borrowed. Uh, $26,000 from friends and family. Nice. And that was, we opened the door and we had $500 in the bank account left the night we opened. Holy was that, crap. that was all we had left to get oh the store open. Oh my gosh. And uh, fortunately it was a success and we made money the first night and it was like, wow, you know. Unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we were 22 at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, it was fun because, uh, you know, my wife, Kelly, who you know well, also, um, she was fully supportive of it. 
Yeah. And uh, were you guys time, married at the time? We got married when we were uh, 22. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like right so when I, you guys left college. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We met our freshman year. Nice. So at the end of our freshman year. So. Cool. Anyways, we uh, yeah we started Fuzzy Peach, um, learned a lot. Uh, we were one of the first frozen yogurt shops on the East Coast, and um, so we we hit the curve at the right time, and um, basically within a month we we realized like wow, you know this is working. You know we like holy crap. This I is think, actually working. I think within the two I think it was within like sixty days we had made our money back. No way. Yeah, and so we we're like wow, okay, right. this is a great business. You know. Yeah. Um, and things were going well, and it was really fun marketing. Uh, you know, social media had just gotten. Uh... <laughs> no worries. It's your wife, Chris. Uh-oh. Yeah, Chris that's fine. Fair enough. Don't cut that. Let's gonna... let the record stay. Yeah. I'm actually going to tell her uh, that she interrupted my podcast. <laughs> oh, no, that's good. So anyways, we, um, yeah, it was going great. We we, we made some, some money quickly, and um, basically w- within the first, uh, it was at around 60 days in, we signed a lease for our second location um, and took the risk there. It was up in Porter's Neck area. Yeah. And the day that we opened that location, the same day we opened, we signed the lease for our third one, oh my which is downtown. And was this all kind of like organically funded at this point? Yeah. Like just using no investors. Pro- yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We oh, paid cool. back our, our family and uh, we didn't pay ourselves back, obviously. Right. And then... And we reinvested all the money. We barely, you know, lived off of anything. Yeah. Um, which we could do at that point in our lives. You know, yeah. Nobody had kids. Yeah. Rocco and Jason weren't married yet. Yep. And, um, yeah, so we, the day we opened our third location, literally the same day we signed a lease for our fourth location uh, in Monkey Junction. Yeah. And then uh, soon thereafter, uh, we opened a fifth location in Carolina Beach. And all throughout that process, we, we were just learning, like, all the ins and outs of, um, working on a business instead of like in a business, right? right. Yep. And uh, basically treated it like our MBA. And so we said, how do we, how do we scale this more, you know, um, and not take as much risk? Because we realized that the risks we were taking, signing on, you know, commercial leases over and over and over, yeah. and also, you know, spending whatever it was, two hundred grand per store at that for point. equipment. And yeah, yeah. Startup. Yeah, we got that. somehow we opened the first one with. $66,000 or whatever. I don't know how. Yeah, but, how'd you guys do that? Did you, like, uh, find, like, used to, like, was it used equipment oh, yeah, yeah, and oh, yeah. all that kind of bootstrapping it yeah, a little so bit? so when we were, so we were, you know, obviously buddies. We all had our corporate jobs before we opened the stores. And we, this is when we had Blackberries, right? And yeah. we were texting all day long at our desks, like, thinking of business ideas. Like, what we knew we wanted to open a business. Yeah. And we knew we wanted to be business, small business people. Right. We didn't know what it should be. Mm-hmm. And, um, Anyways, we're just texting every idea you could think of. You know, it came across our Blackberries. And uh, and one time, Rocco went and visited a friend in California. I was going to say. And, uh, and he saw frozen yogurt. It wasn't really being done self-serve out yeah. there, but he saw it was, um, I think it was a pink berry that he went to. But anyways, he saw frozen yogurt concept, and he took a picture of his cup and sent it you know, on the blackberries to us and said, this so is probably it. super pixelated, yeah, pixelated like can barely see little, it. And you got to scroll with the ball to like yeah, see yeah. what he's looking at. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So anyways, we, he said, this is it. So we, we just started doing our due diligence and research and, you know, poking holes in the business plan. And we realized like, Hey, we actually think we have the means to do this. So 
Jason was the first one to take the leap and quit his job. Mm-hmm. And he left Citigroup, and we've, we flew him to California. He slept on someone's couch, and he got a job managing a yogurt shop for okay. about 60 days. Oh, yep. my God. Yeah, and uh, just to learn as much as he Brilliant. could. Yeah, because we didn't know. Right? Yeah. And uh, so he did that, and we learned a ton, and then um, actually flew you know, brought him back to Wilmington mm-hmm. and we were like, let's get some more like kind of more corporate. Cause that was just a single shop. Let's get him some more like corporate, uh, systemized experience. And so yeah. we got him a job. He, we were like, go work at McDonald's. Oh so he gosh. worked at McDonald's for <laughs> no about way. 30 days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were like, Oh, look at this guy. He's so smart. He's college. They wanted to send him to McDonald's <laughs> university yeah. and like, you know, make him a manager and all this stuff. And then, you know, he oh just, he did it for like, I think a month, yeah. and uh, and then we opened our our first location. But over in California, bought used equipment. Yep. You know, we we had these big yogurt machines. It was twenty thousand dollars. That was the big purchase, mm-hmm. and uh, and shipped them over. They sat in Rocco and Jason still lived together at the time, and uh, they sat in their garage for however many months until, you know, we got the store open. But anyways, we, we just bootstrapped it and figured it out and did all the work in the store ourselves and you know that's so wild yeah got lucky because now the permitting process uh in in pretty much any municipality not just wilmington but is just so much more intensive and we would have never gotten away with what we got away with um to get the store open so anyways yeah we got it open uh then then the stores progressively got more and more expensive yeah and we said how do we make this uh how do, how do we make this into a more legitimate business? I mean, we were making great money to be, I think, 23 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, okay, well, you know, people had said, why don't you franchise it? Let's make it a franchise. And we we're like, all right, let's learn franchising. Yeah. And um, so we brought in this, you know, consultant. You pay a bunch of money. It's, you know, basically $100,000 to get all the legal stuff, everything done. Mm-hmm start franchising you know and at the time uh you know social media was a lot easier to get the word out back then because it was kind of i guess you know instagram i don't know if it existed yet or not but facebook was like if you made a post everyone that followed you saw the post got it there there weren't all these all algorithms and paid bs and all that and so anyways so so that's how we built our following back then I, i don't remember how many followers we had or whatever but yeah and um we were like, okay, cool. We know how to sell a $4 cup of yogurt and let's build this franchise system. So we worked on the business, got everything together and said, here's our franchise program and put it out there to the world. Yeah. You know, did a press release on business journal, star news, all, yeah. the, all the local stuff. Yeah. And, uh-huh. um, even some statewide publications picked it up and nothing happened. And we were like, interesting. What do we, how do we do this? And um, basically we had to come to the realization that we're no longer selling a $4 cup of yogurt. We're selling a, a $250,000 investment. Right. And we had to be able to sell that investment to people mm-hmm. rather than sell the cup of yogurt to, right. you know, a family of four. Or right. Whatever. Um, so once we did that, we kind of took a step back. Um, we started working with someone who had a lot of franchise experience as a consultant. And um, we actually gave away our first three stores, I think. Okay. Um, so we just to kind of get something, yeah, to get, get, get it going started. a little bit, That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, and uh, start franchising, and um, they were successful out the gate, and 
sold more franchises and did, and then just you know started building it and at the time we got up to uh, we had 17 stores open and we had um, three more that were about to open mm-hmm. and uh, another 20 that were committed to be opened and we were as far as Texas and Michigan um, Pennsylvania what, what year was this yeah I want to say it was like 2014 I think or 20 yeah and the 2013 fir- and the first store was what 2010 2011 yeah 2010 July 2010 we July opened 20- so within six years you guys went from no it was like four years I think we sold in 2013 Okay. Now that I think about it, I'm bad at that, you know this stuff. <laughs> Too many things in my head. Uh, but yeah, so it was within three and a half years from from we opened the first one to sold the company. Unbelievable. Yeah. So when you sold the company, how many were like you got? How many stores did you guys still own, and then how many franchises? Yeah, good shops question. Did you have? So we had our five, and then there was 17 total, and then you know the 20 more in development. And as we uh, started franchising more and more and the systemization came into place yeah. we were selling off our corporate stores in the process um, and so we were down to one corporate store left you know kind of towards the tail end was that the original and, yeah the racing drive the one. og yeah. yeah the og shop yeah just because we had our a pulse on that one and yeah. you know it was easy to market yeah. to the college students and yeah um we did all the training there so we'd bring people to wilmington do all the training unbelievable man. so anyways we uh towards the end you know, we just we kind of saw the writing on the wall that um, well, we had heard that you know back in the '80s, TCBY and frozen yogurt yeah. had another big spike and crash. Yep. And so we were kind of cognizant of that potentially happening again, and so we saw it starting to happen because we or we or we kind of saw signs that it could happen, and so that's where we we started to say, look, let's let's hand this program off to a bigger entity that could weather that storm Mm -hmm. because so many people uh without being industry specific they'd come into a yogurt shop and be like this is fun i want to open a business like this i could do this i know where to buy oreos and m&ms and and you know ice cream machine is all i got to buy and um so anyways the the barriers to entry were kind of low right and so the supply started to really creep up and there was frozen yogurt shops everywhere yep and uh, we had a strong foothold you know, um, in the markets we were in and our stores were doing well. And, uh, we saw that writing on the wall and just a company had reached out to us, like bef- in the middle of when we started franchising, it was called uh, U-Swirl. They were owned by Rocky mountain chocolate factory. Mm-hmm. It was publicly traded. And, uh, they reached out to us like early and kind of said, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, we just blew, kind of blew it off. Like, you know, Look, we're focused on building our stores Playing right now. Playing hard to get, working up that. Well, no, because no, this was seriously. too early on. Because yeah. we, we weren't intending to sell the business. Yeah. And then and then now we built it to a, a sellable value. And um, we just reached back out to them and, and said, hey, look, you know, is that still kind of the project? This is, this is probably a year or two later. Is that still what you guys are working on? And kind of consolidating chains of yogurt shops our size and... And they were like, yeah, and you guys are a prime candidate. And so, you know, they did their due diligence and auditors in and, 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 uh, you know, we did a deal and, and their stock price went up 10, 10%, you know? So it was cool. <laughs> what a cool story. Uh, but it was, it was right for them. Uh, and, and we felt at the time it was right for the franchisees. 
um, which was important to us because we didn't want to just sell to any other mom and pop or something like that that, mm-hmm. that wouldn't necessarily have the infrastructure in place to that we thought could support the stores and get buying power of more and more locations to right. buy down cost of goods and that sort of stuff. So it made sense for us. And, uh, yeah, that's what we did. So that's wild. So that's fuzzy peach. And then, um, so, w- so yeah. when you guys like, so the first night that you guys opened, yeah. was it just you, Jason and, uh, sorry, and Rocco. It, and Rocco, like were you the yeah, first three the, employees? I think for the first month. Yeah. Who was employee of the month, the first month? Yeah, I guess. Probably Jason. Probably, yeah. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's dude. a lot of funny stories that, oh that happen because we're all college roommates too. Yeah, exactly. And now we're, you know, young adults at the time, 22 or something or 23. Yeah. And, um, and then, so, yeah. for, so like you guys were like the first three employees and then it, it, like, how many employees did you guys have? I guess like when you, when you still had just like your corporate stores, like before you started um, the franchise. Yeah, good question. We had, uh, I think we would roll through about 150 part-time employees oh through the course of a year yeah because it's, it's mostly college students yeah. you know working for tip money and min- yeah. not minimum wage but yeah. close um and like and then you know we had we started to build layers of management which was that was started to get really fun mm-hmm. um and then we started to build you know franchise executive team members and right um yeah i mean it was cool one of our one of our first hires like from our first core group of employees stuck with us through the whole company and we even gave her a piece of the exit when we sold the business oh, cool. because yeah, she was so she was a key to, employee. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah. all right, so then you guys, you you know, you sell the business, and you're how old at this point? Yeah, I think I, I think I was twenty five or four. Yeah. So did you like what'd you do after I was like that? Twenty five. Like first, um, like you know, made some real money and like, yeah. Well, the thing is, it was it was a lot of money then. Um, you know, if you add it all, it's in the press, like it's not a secret. If, but if you add it all up, it was like around $2 million. Oh, cool. And we split it between three guys, right? That's awesome, and we man. were 25 years yeah. old or something. Um, You're in the first business that you ever started. Yeah, first one. Right? Yeah. Like, well, how- I mean, we had little ones in college, like okay. random little things like um, Rocco and Jason were doing boat detailing. And, yeah. You know, I had businesses growing up like, I had, you know, I called it struble services, but I do lawn care for people and, you yeah. know, random things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, the first, like, legit consumer-facing yeah, like, business. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As an adult. That doesn't really happen no, to we, a lot, for a yeah, lot of lucky. entrepreneurs. No, we know we're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. But but we put in the work and we made the right decisions. Yeah. And played it right. So, you know, at the same time, you know, we could give ourselves a pat on the back for that. But at the... But also, it was just the timing, and you know, we were lucky. You know, so. it's, I was gonna say, like, you know, I, I've had that. My brother and sister live in Southern California, and every time I go, like, California is always on like the cutting edge of like yeah. what like the, the new Coast. trend is gonna be, right? Yeah. And so it's so funny when you say that. Yeah, we sent Jason out to go, yeah. you know, check it out in California, and then bring it back here. But hey, timing is that's that's, that's life, is, and that's yeah. business. I mean, timing is big is, part is of critical, it. man. Yeah, big part of it. So, like, during that, so it sounds, I mean, from what it sounds like, it was, like, a, it was, you know, a, a good idea, right timing, right place. Did you guys hit any, like, points where, like, any, like, roadblocks or, like, hurdles where you, where you like, really kind of had to, like, strap down and, like, be like, oh, we got to reassess our business plan, our model? Well, definitely on the franchising thing. Like yeah, when we, I guess. When okay. we tried to start franchising. Yeah. Um, the cool thing is it's very easy to market for a dessert shop. And, like, mm-hmm. 
the customer service, you know, we had our core values as a business and customer service, like world-class customer service is what we always said. But yep. when it's a self-serve environment, you know, kind of business model, like how can you give extra customer service? That's what we always strove for. Mm-hmm. And so even in design of our stores, we would leave a gap in the bar so that employees had easier access to walk and around. quicker access to be on the other side and actually interact with the customer. Cool. Um, not just stand behind the bar in the register. Right. So anyways, little things like that, that we, uh, you know, really focused on, but as far as hurdles, um, that the franchising route, learning it and, uh, ch- like I said, switching and, you know, we failed for three months at it or mm-hmm. six months or whatever yeah. it was like nothing happened. And, um, but then, you know, we realized kind of, we, we took a step back and realized what the product we were selling was, was a quarter million dollar investment. Mm-hmm. Um, not the, you know, sprinkles and Oreos, yeah. you know, um, so, so let's get yeah. back. So, all right. So you're 25, 26 years old. You just, you know, sold yeah. business, made some real money. Yeah. Like, sold what'd you, job away. What, so what'd you do? Um, well, you go on vacation or like t- take a, a trip or something. Or? I think I just kind of went right to work. Like, yeah. Cause you, you sold your job away, you yeah, know, and it's right. not like it's enough money to just go sailing. The no, rest of your life, no. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, just started, um, started doing com- some consulting. Mm-hmm. I just plugged in at the uh, the CIE at UNCW yeah. Center for Innovation yeah. and Entrepreneurship when that was starting up, and um, I would just go there and hang out just to try to meet like who's working on what today, you know? Because I was kind of like a free guy, like yeah. trying to figure out what to do next. What a cool like stage to yeah. to be at. Yeah, so I would just hang out there, and then um, a few things happened. Worked on a couple projects like consulting wise, mm-hmm. um, and that's also the time that we bought the lot. Down in, uh, in Seabreeze, sea breeze, yeah, which is where we live. But with timing to do that, I'm yeah, like, it was perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's um, awesome. it was great. So, and then you know, started building the house. Yeah, um, did a lot of the work ourselves. Like we learned so much about development and building from building all the fuzzy peach locations that just built their own house. Right, and so that was so. Fun. Did you? I mean, I guess you kind of GC'd your own house, right? Yeah, or, well, I had a GC. Okay, um, because I didn't have full time to do all of it. Right. So I had a GC, but kept boundaries on how much I wanted him to do versus what me and got? Kelly were in there yeah. doing it all ourselves. So. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So drew the, literally drew the plans, drew, you know, that's kind of something I, I would say is like a hobby of mine. Like, and Kelly would attest to this, like I'll sit in bed and just like draw like, you know, floor plans and elevations and mm-hmm. like design things. And anyways, cool. that's what, that's what I like to do sometimes. But so yeah, Built, drew the plans for the house, built the house, mm-hmm. um, love living there. And then was consulting for, uh, helped a friend, um, a local business. It's called Cloudwise. Uh, yeah. I helped Sean. I've known him for a long time. Yep. Helped him do a, at the time it was a million dollar capital raise and then went full time on board with him for about a year. And uh, as like a CFO, COO kind of position, yeah. uh-huh. helped him kind of restructure and then saw that it was my time to get out and uh got out of that and we uh did a little bit more consulting and then started uh Tama Tea, which is what's here on the table oh man so, I'm, I'm thirsty why don't we me too. why don't we crack one of these for the rest of the conversation well, you pick whichever one you want and then i'll i'll take i saw a ginger one right yeah there you go yeah. that's our latest one okay so, cool yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna roll with the ginger I'm here gonna the rosé um yeah so we started uh cheers brother yeah there you go so we started this company um, in 2015. 
Mm-hmm. It was very uh, nice. Very yeah, nice. There you go. Uh, it was December 2015, so basically the beginning of 2016, and um, started as a tea-focused cafe. So Kelly had, while she was getting her MBA, kind of wrote a business plan on the side. She was she was sitting in Starbucks and Port City Java's every yeah. day, you know, yeah. doing her online MBA, and just saw the number of people that were getting tea, and saw how poorly of a job a coffee shop generally does. Yeah, that's not their tea. core competency, yeah. right? Yeah. That's right. And so, basically, uh, did her own research and wrote an entire business plan and we just kind of tabled it. This was, this was why we still had fuzzy peach. And then, um, basically we're getting kind of bored and, you know, brought that business plan back out and dusted it off. Yeah. And, uh, we started it as a cafe in Wilmington and it was all tea focused. Um, did you ever go there while it was open? Did Not you? To, no, I no. haven't. Uh, so anyways, it, yeah, we had a good run. We had, um, we built it to three cafes one in Wilmington, one in Raleigh, and one in Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, again, with a lot of the same, you know, we'd say core value. We have um, our core values, like, lined up. The same ones from Fuzzy Peach we brought into, you know, basically every business that I've been involved with. But um, So we had the same thing where there was, like, a gap in the bar, mm-hmm. and employees were encouraged to walk out and interact with the customer on all the various. We had, like, I don't know, 50 different types of tea on the walls mm-hmm. and um, could, you know, talk to the customers, tell them about what we have, that sort of thing. And so uh, that was the cafes. And in the cafes, we were looking for something to put on uh, in our deli case, like in our grab-and-go, other than just bottled water mm-hmm. and uh, Spindrift, you know, which right. was all we could really get. And we were like, oh, there's got to be, like, some really good carbonated teas somewhere. And uh, looked all over and basically didn't see that it existed mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And so we started making our own. Um, like you like you were actually making the tea, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah in like, the cafes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we still make the tea. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, we were, we were, we would like put it in a keg and in, in our, the way we got into it a little bit of being confident enough to figure it out was in our higher volume stores in Raleigh and Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. we built like a keg system. So that our our most popular teas would just be on tap, not carbonated, but just use nitrogen to like push them. Right. And um, because it would be a faster you know flow, like it was all about ticket times mm-hmm. when you're in downtown Raleigh, right? Right. Exactly. And um, so, anyways, learned a little bit about like how kegs work and all that, and uh, decided, okay, let's try CO two and carbonate some of these, and basically just put it on pressure and shook the kegs till it was carbonated yeah and uh kept it refrigerated and tried it that way and everyone liked it and so we we're like awesome um let's figure out how to can it and went to uh i don't know if you know judd um watkins but he owns uh riceville beach brewery no, here in town. but he's he's been a good friend of ours and big tea fans uh he was him and his wife were customers in the cafe mm-hmm. and um pitched him the idea like hey can we get in there and experiment like in your brewery how to do this and so um did it and we were making you know about a pallet or so of cans at a time and like we would just put stickers on them and then take them to the cafe and sell them Mm -hmm. and um it's going really well and so we're like man how do we scale this up and um basically this is kind of where we you know the fork in the road of what makes tama tea different from most beverages on the shelf Mm -hmm. is in the process of learning how to make mass scale beverage for distribution, 
everyone says go to there's there's a bunch of terms but flavor house and co-packers and mm-hmm. um, all that sort of stuff and essentially what they'll do is they'll make a recipe proprietary recipe of extracts natural flavors preservatives whatever ingredients and they won't tell you directly what it is like you can you can look on a can of something and see it and it'll say natural flavors if you look mm-hmm. at every beverage on the grocery store shelf almost every yeah if you look at them it's going to say extract this natural and natural flavors yeah. or something um or a lot of sugar or something like that and basically we were like well look if you can't even tell us what's in the natural flavor like that would be weird in our cafe if you came in the cafe and i just squirted a little vial of like natural flavors in a cup and mixed it with water and stirred it up and yeah. gave it to you Here's right tea, yeah. yeah like we want to use real fruit real herbs you know real tea and brew it and then that's how we want to get our flavor and um so we stuck with that as our our core like competency of like this is tama tea we use real ingredients mm-hmm. and um yeah so with that we realized we can't go the normal route of uh, a flavor house and a co-packer we just need a bigger brewery because we know we can do it in a brewery so then we um partnered with abita brewery down in new orleans in new orleans yeah. yeah and still partnered with them today we go down there i was just down there like um not even a month ago and uh we brewed uh this one and two of the green teas so we have these three are yerba mates uh, which are like kind of our new thing yeah they're higher caffeine more of a natural energy drink yeah um more caffeine than a red bull in each of these no way. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and uh and then we have three green teas that are um about 45 milligrams of caffeine but all the same stuff so yeah so we we partnered with vita and uh i say partner but we just you know use their facility they're not like equity partners with yeah us so, or so how does yeah. that work it's like hey like can we rent your brew house for a day basically kind of deal? Yeah. And they're yeah. like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. They were like, oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah, we don't, we've never made tea before, but it sounds cool. Let's do it. Wow. And uh, yeah, I just flew down there and like pitched them the idea and they, they were like, yeah, let's, let's make this happen. So, um, and we still go down there and do it with them. And it's cool because like when we make the, the lemon lavender flavor or even this ginger flavor, for example, like the lavender flowers in the brewery, just make the whole brewery. This is a big brewery. They're mm-hmm. like, the 15th largest in the country, I think. And so it's like, just everything smells like lavender and, you know, there's all these big burly, like, brewery guys. Yeah, like, like hop hop heads, like, yeah. But they all love it. uh, Yeah, it's a good little change up for them when we're down. So when you go down there, do you, like, the the crew that runs the brew house, are they the ones that are, like, actually operating the system and you're kind of there, like, here's our recipe, this is how we do it overseeing, or are you guys, like, literally... Like yeah, well, doing the whole the whole deal. Each thing, it's a challenge because we're scaling. When we make a new flavor, for example, this ginger, yeah, um, we're scaling it up, and it and it's not a linear like recipe. Um, so yeah, so definitely getting involved in, and we know the brew brewing process and the science of it, like to the T of like here's what we need, you know, our all our metrics to hit throughout each phase of the right, process. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, what we do. It's like a big chemistry project. Huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so this, this, yeah. the, is there any type of fermentation that happens no. with this? It's no. just so, like, with it from like the day that you brew it to the day it gets canned. What, what's the timing? What time? For um, that? Abita is like I said, they're massive. 
Yeah. So it's the it's like instant. Like instant I, I went so now I go down and make batches and we'll, one batch I'll make more product than Rice with Beach Brewery makes beer in a year. Holy smokes. Yeah. So it's like truckloads and truckloads like all at once. Oh my yeah, gosh. In and out. So how so where where's your distribution now? I mean to make yeah. that much product. So it's yeah, so now we'll get into to the business of Tomati. Yeah. Um which is Consumer packaged goods, but then the ready-to-drink uh, beverage sector of consumer packaged goods. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like the most challenging business that I've been a part of uh, because imagine you have a big pie, right? And you got to cut slices off for, for everyone at, at, the, you know, at, at the table. Yeah. And um, you got distributors, brokers, merchandisers, the retailers – um you know, everybody's got to make di- a yeah yeah piece, exactly huh? and you know if you got any third party logistics in there and in all those pieces um for a while for us added up to more than the size of the pie like before we even you know got anything so even even some right now depending on what retailer um w- when we sell uh, for a while at whole foods when we would sell a can of green tea we would lose money mm-hmm just because of too many too many hands in the pot yeah and um but but it, it's a business of scale so you just have to you have to outgrow those challenges and there's kind of like a minimum um threshold that you just kind of have to get to and mm-hmm. and we're still not there you know we're still taking investment uh and still growing the business that way and um we're pretty excited about these yerba mates mm-hmm. because uh it's kind of a new sector for us and we're like on the on the entry point of like we're blending tea with like energy drink sector um and the energy drink business is is billions and billions of dollars larger mm-hmm. than the tea you know kind of sector mm-hmm. in a grocery store so um yeah so these are pretty exciting for us and uh yeah they're just hitting these are just hitting shelves we had the rose mate in bottles that was uh-huh. our first like test run yeah. um but now all three in cans um we've we've taken a step back on our strategy and we basically in the last year took one step back to take two steps forward and um, with that we're uh, launching all three of these on the west coast and we'll be on shelves in LA in like two weeks oh I my think gosh. it is yeah and uh the, the through Whole Foods or Europe, no not through Whole Foods through uh, a few different retailers awesome. yeah the the biggest one is called Bristol Farms. It's like fourteen locations, I think, oh, cool. in LA. Um, yeah, so I'm, we're pretty pumped about that because yerba mate uh, in general is indexing like really high on the West Coast compared to the East Coast. Um, and you know, we get you can get in this CPG industry and then beverage. You can get industry data mm-hmm. um, that's you pay a lot for it, but you can find out like what's trending, whether it be flavors or, or, or types of things in various types of retailers. And, um, so anyways, in the natural channel, which is like a whole foods, um, you know, type of store, uh, on the West coast, you know, there's, there's a few big players in the yerba mate space, the largest being the big yellow cans. It's called Guayaquil, Mm -hmm. which you might've seen. I think I've seen those. Um, you know they're they're a big business and um, they do their own distribution and everything, and um, 
you know, we obviously think we have a premium product compared to them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, being, uh, you know, all organic, all real ingredients, no yeah. natural flavors, no extracts, nothing. We're brewing your mate leaves with, you know, with ginger juice. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we think, you know, we'll try to take a little bite of that and, and see how it goes. So, yeah. like, so for marketing a business like this, you know, it's maybe, it's not how much of your marketing and advertising has to go into like educating the consumer about what our product yeah. is and like great question to versus like, Hey, buy our, ours is better than theirs. Yeah. Like where are you guys at? In that this is cycle? another thing we've learned. And, um, as, as we've been going, so, you know, we were, we were pretty good at advertising. I would say pretty good, you know, pat myself on the back, but, uh, at, <laughs> at, and it's mostly Rocco and, and Kelly that do the advertising. I'm more finance operations. Yeah. And, um, but I would say at advertising like a retail establishment, you know, like a like a fuzzy peach or the cafes, like we were good at building that kind of brand. Right. And then this is a completely different business because you can blow so much money, and we have, on just getting the word out. But but you only you have to get the word out at the point of purchase. So it doesn't matter at, at this size. Right. You know, we're not we're not a Red Bull that can just like go land an airplane on top of a building, right? Yeah, exactly. And then that'd be cool marketing. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, you know, obviously we can't do that. And so what we need is uh, to, to have the advertising at the point of purchase rather than like really super high-end branding focus. Right, exactly. So, so what we did is uh, the, the, the hardest part is getting it, the customer to notice it on the shelf and get it in their hand. Mm -hmm. And once you've gotten them to like get it in, in their hand, then you've earned the right for them to learn about the product okay. and turn it, right? Okay. Yep. Um, and so we rebranded, you know, the cans um, from what we had. Like our our very first version, we thought it was really cool, but um, a friend of ours, Tyler, we paid him with a bottle of bourbon to, like, do the design, right? Nice. And we thought, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And uh, once it made it to shelf, like, you couldn't even see Tomatee on the shelf. It just got washed out. Mm -hmm. um, and so anyways, it's it's been a real... Like I said, taking a few steps back or one step back to take two steps forward, and so um, focusing on the, uh, the the brand on the shelf and the the brand block. Like you only get so many linear feet on a shelf at a grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. And you want to fight for as much of that as you can, right? And you want to keep as much of that. And if if your product's not selling well, they're just gonna give it to the next product, right? You know, because they need it's real estate and they need you know yep. high revenue, and so. Yep. Um, yeah, so we're fighting for that on that end. And then as far as the marketing, there's a lot of unique things you can do. Like um, nowadays, there's even like direct kind of couponing, I guess you could call it. I don't even know how to I'm explain not, it. I'm but not yeah, it, that. That, well, it's a terrible way to explain what it is. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's selling, it's, it's uh, getting people to try the product and give reviews. And Got it. there's services that, you know, you could sign up for it and be like, I'm interested in hiking and and surfing and then like if there's brands that align with kind of what you're interested in then this company will, will send you like hey go to whole foods buy this off the shelf use this coupon and then write us a review or whatever got it um got it. So anyways to get like free stuff so there's that's like a unique way um but then it comes down to you got to pay a lot, like slotting fees to get to buy that real estate on the shelf at the grocery store. They charge you a lot of money, yeah. um, and to buy uh, ads in the grocery store, 
um, we eat that cost. Like when you go to Harris Teeter and you see something on Vic Special, Harris Teeter is making their margin no matter what. It's the same margin. Right, exactly. It's the manufacturer has to eat that. Right. When you go to Whole Foods and it's on deal, manufacturer's eating that. And when you check out and you give them your prime, manufacturer's uh, eating that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so anyways, you have, but you have to do that. And then you also have to do like in-store demos because the best thing with a new brand or a new product like this is to get someone to actually crack it open and try it. Yeah. And so, you know, we're paying thousands and thousands of dollars every month to have yeah. people stand in the store and say, hey, you want to try some Tama tea? Yep. And customers are like, what is that? And it's like, let me tell you. Yeah, you exactly. Um, and then, I so, mean, and, and that's marketing at the point of purchase. And then yeah. you've you've got to have a good product too, right? Yeah, I course. mean, like, because I I love craft beer. I've like that's that's something that I've been obsessed with for a while, and I even brewed my own beer for quite a while. So when you yeah. were telling me about this, where you going to Abita? Yeah, Abita, Abita, yeah. Abita. I was like, you know, that would be cool. Yeah. But like, you know, I see in the craft beer industry, you know, like a marketing, like one of the marketing, you know, strategies is I'm going to have the most colorful, coolest can like on yeah. the shelf, right? And it kind of works. Like you pick it yeah. up and then, you know, you might buy it and then you drink it and you're like, oh, well, this actually sucks. Yeah. You know, so yeah. like I'm not even, you know, I'm not going to buy it again. Yeah. But um, I don't yeah, know. So you got to earn the right to, the, the first step is earn the right to them to pick it up yep. with, the, with the cool can with the cool design with Got it. with a few key what we say is like ping pong balls okay. right like if i throw you one ping pong ball you're gonna catch it yep. right if i throw you 20 ping pong balls you might catch like two or three right right yeah so what what you have to do on the front of a can is decide how many ping pong balls do i want to throw at the customer on the shelf for that half a second that they're mm-hmm. going to look at it because um, they're only going to catch two or three you know yeah exactly um, so anyways, that's how we describe that and that's what we do. So So what's yeah. like what's the what do you think the the outlook is and the and the future is for Tamati? What's the you know, like the vision, like the Yeah. The big big picture. Well cool. essentially we have to just keep growing it. I mean mm-hmm. um you know, I'm not tied to any necessary business like like I mean I'm not I'm super passionate about the brands that I'm involved with, especially Tamati. I probably spend ninety nine percent of my time on this right now um and then the other 99 percent on some other concepts I was so, i'm so <laughs> glad you said that because you know the name yeah. of this podcast is fractional right go, and yeah. it's like you know we spend fractions of our time on different things and i always joke with people i'm like I, you know yeah. it all adds up to more than 100 percent in my life and i know it does in yours as well especially yeah. being a dad and a husband mm-hmm. and like you know all that yeah but so you know i mean, got bigger's market too so, yeah, yeah so that's yeah. what I was, you know, we've only got, I mean, we've flown through here. We got like probably like five or 10 more minutes. But, oh, cool. So tell us, like, I know you're involved with a lot more, you know, there's more businesses. So tell us about the other businesses you're involved with. And, and yeah. yeah, just a little bit about those. Um, yeah. So Rocco and I have like our consulting business on the side that okay. we started back, at, I think, right after we sold uh, Fuzzy Peach. And so mm-hmm. we just run a few things through that. Yep. Um, or like if people come and say like, Hey, you need to talk to Wells or Rocco. They got, you know, they can help you with your business right now. Then we'll right. just, you know, charge a little fee and meet with them a few times. Right. Um, but a lot of times we want to get more involved. So like some people came to us um, a couple years back and wanted to do, and these were friends of ours, like a temporary fence rental around construction sites. Yeah. I and, remember we were talking yeah. about that, that in the neighborhood so one time. I was putting up a fence this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I mean, I was, yeah. That's why I got work boots on. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, that's the other 99% of my time. Yeah. Um, that's a cool little business because it's such a niche 
yeah. and it's really just customer service focused. You're just dealing with big contractors, big builders, mm-hmm. or you know that are doing big apartment complexes or something, and they mm-hmm. want to fence around the job site. Yep. Um, so, anyways, that's a cool one that we have going. No profit in it yet. You mm-hmm. know, it's one that you you got to build up your inventory really big and right. then start to reuse it, and then yep. that's when you can make a little profit. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the fence company. Um, Bigger's Market, mm-hmm. you know, got involved with that, uh, with Sven, been friends with him for a while and, and he wanted help like, um, consulting up a little bit and then I, he needed help. He wanted to buy out his other partner and build a new location and all that. And mm-hmm. so he, he brought me in and so I was like, yeah, this is a great business. Bigger's is really fun cause it's not one that we're going to try to like scale really right. big. We're just going to try to keep adding things to it, I love you it. know? Um, yeah. which is less, you know, big picture. It's not like it's going to be a, a billion dollar company or something, right? Like it's just like a local produce market and we're going to keep adding things. Like we added the live music and the alcohol and we're building a kitchen. We bought the tanning salon to the South no of way. our building. We're turning that into a big commercial kitchen. And, um, we added delivery service this year. That's right. Um, so yeah, so Biggers is, is a fun one. Um, and really like that. And then just recently, uh, someone I met was, you know, like, Hey, here's what I'm working on. And I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, a what we're going to build is a, uh, lithium ion battery recycling facility. Dude, that yeah. is so funny. Yeah. I had a lithium battery for a power blower yeah. and I couldn't put it in the garbage can. Yeah. I'm like, I can't just throw this away. Like, yeah. And it's still sitting in my house. Yeah. So let me know when you guys get that. Yeah. When you get that dialed it's, in. That's How a, cool is this that? is a big project and I'm just like a small seed seed whoops, seed investor. Yeah. Um but uh I mean it's gonna be a it's gonna be like a fifty million dollar project yeah so when you get into these businesses how yeah. like how much of it is like sweat equity versus like i don't want to do it unless i can put some sweat into it right yeah because if i you don't want to just be like here's 100 you know no. whatever and go run no you yeah. want to i be... mean well look I, I have money in my e-trade account right, right. and I, yeah i do that yeah um but no for the for the stuff that's like not uh equities yeah i want to be involved in it you know yeah um some buddies and i bought a beach house in the outer banks uh, and we have that on short-term rental, you know, so okay. that's another little business. So I think I had about a dozen tax returns last year. I think I'm going to have 14 this year. Yeah. So have you, <laughs> have you guys had, have you got like, we, you know, you've been so successful through everything. Some things. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, was there, I mean, in our, just in our last couple of minutes here, yeah. as we wrap up, what, uh. You know, was there one that like was like a total just like you know like flop or failure, and you guys were like, yeah, this just ain't it? Or have you been able to kind of push through on on everything that you guys have started? I mean, I've I've the the one thing that I failed on is I loaned a builder money to finish a project, and then he filed bankruptcy, and so but that's one where I failed because I didn't get involved. It, it wasn't sweat equity, and right. so that's where I was like. Well, that blows. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think when I, when I can get involved, like, I'm just going to put my head down and push through. And, yep. like, I'm comfortable. And what I've told somebody was, like, I've become numb to the risk of, like, business. And so, which is kind of bad. Um, but I'll, I'll push through losing money almost too long, mm-hmm. you know, until I just know. But I, I always have a long a- approach. And so yep. as long as I'm long on it. And I still feel good about the concept and still feel right. Even like Tom T, you know, we've been going, 
We started the company eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still going and we're still losing money. Yeah. Eight years later, right? Which is crazy. It's like Tesla. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think th- I think they're making plenty of money. But now, we're but... gonna, you know, but there's still a path to great value and great profitability with Tomatee. Yeah. Um, so that's why we're still going hard on it. What would be like your one like piece of advice to some young college kid who's kind of like you know finishing up school? I don't want to go to corporate America. You know, I want to yeah. like build a business. I want to do something, but I have no freaking I like I don't have any good ideas. Like yeah. I don't like I want to start a business. I think I can do it, but I don't have any freaking ideas. Like yeah. and I'm bummed. Like, what do I do? Um, well you gotta get a little bit of money first. Mm-hmm. Um and I would but but not a lot, just a little bit. And so you gotta get a job. Yeah. You know? I mean you gotta have a day job. Yep. Um, at least for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. I'm like I'm probably the least introspective person that you can talk to. Like I'm not good at talking about my feelings or things that I know or things mm-hmm. that I, you know, am good at or anything like that. So asking me for advice is like probably a bad thing. Um, but I would, yeah, I, I don't know. I think once you just got to pick something and uh, and focus on it and devote everything you have to it. Like yeah. don't go out with your friends and just spend your time on that. Business, yeah. whatever it is, yeah, and, and run and run some diligence, like yeah, to, you know, yeah, plug, poke holes in it, yeah, yeah, just you know, figure it out, uh, make sure that it's something within your wheelhouse, and if it is, then uh, I see no reason not to try it and just lose uh, lose your money, yeah, you know, yeah, because if it doesn't work, you can get a job later, yeah, there you yeah. go, that's right. <laughs> All right, guys, well, yeah, well, that was an awesome story, man. I mean, from. 22 years old, you know, yeah. exit in your first business at 26 and everything along. And uh, appreciate you coming on and appreciate you sharing some knowledge. Yeah, man. Thanks and, for having uh, me. It was fun. Yeah, one last cheers. Yeah, glad you liked it. All right, thanks. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks again for joining in. Um, stay tuned and uh, go to our – oh, I'm sorry. Where uh, – where, if I'm – you know, if I want to, you know, follow Wells, if I want to follow some of your businesses, where do I – where yeah. do I go to uh, 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 check you out? Tomate, at Tomatico is our Instagram. Cool. Or Tomatico.com. And then uh, probably just Bigger's Market. Yeah. Uh, which you just Google – I think it's just Bigger'sMarket.com. Sweet. And then at Bigger's Market uh, on Instagram. Those are the two retail-focused, you know, companies, so. Awesome. You don't need to follow anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Go check it out, guys. Yeah. Tom T, Bigger's Market. Thanks again, Wells. Thank you. See you guys. Hell yeah. Cool. Nice work.